fight. Three, two, one. Welcome to Arcade Attack. <laughs> A retro gaming podcast for up to four players. Sonic Boom! Welcome back, listeners, to another Arcade Attack podcast. We've got Eric Quakenbush back on the pod. I mean, we don't have uh, guests on usually twice. So, Eric, it's a real pleasure to have you back on part one. We looked yeah, at your amazing time at Apple, which was fascinating. You know, I, I'll be honest, I thought it would be quite a small section of the interview, but it was so interesting. I, I couldn't stop you, and it definitely deserved its own sort of interview. Part two uh, is Sega, which, you know, I've, I've already said before that the Arcade Attack boys, we are huge Sega fans. We grew up playing the Mega Drive, the Master System, Saturn's Dreamcast, and you were there, I think for only three years, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had a huge, huge uh, role there. You were involved in many classic games that we're huge fans of, so I can't wait to hear about your stories. Um, can I start by asking how you first got the, the job at Sega? Sure. Yeah, it was it was very finite three years whereas like my internship kind of fuzzes the beginning of apple and the contracting but it's like no it was three years but it was right in the sweet spot of the of the peak of cartridges and then the introduction of sega cd and then the oh my god what are we going to do let's make the 32x (laughs) (laughs) we're going to get our rear ends taken in the market from all these new people and from nintendo or the classic villain but i went because uh my friend jerome uh who i mentioned in the last podcast jerome demure he um had moved on to sega and was in the multimedia studio and it turned out a lot of the people in that studio um part of sega of america were all from atari and all from his group at atari and uh, Mimi Doggett, um, our boss's name was Romberger. I can't remember what his first name is. And um, he w- he had been working at, at um, Atari, I think, as a programmer. Mimi was an art director. Jerome was um, probably listed as a graphic designer um, doing the actual art for the game. So uh, he did uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, like I said, and E.T. And when he, he passed away... Uh, Two years ago, Christmas time, way too early. And sorry to hear that. No, if I can uh, get anybody down the road to put it in the back of their head that if you have a big heart uh, surgery a year after your heart surgery, don't go out a field when they've switched your meds because it turns out a year after your heart surgery is a very traditional time where the doctors will say, "Let's revisit your med schedule," and then they pull back on a bunch of medications. You might need those medications to live. So, uh, yeah, they, uh, that was a, a sad thing. But he was very okay with the idea. He had, he had died on the operating table for his heart thing a year before that. And he was always a very um, in touch with uh, things that are just not like every day. He was, he was always very um, spiritual mm-hmm. uh, about uh, just not, not in an organized religion way, but in just in general about um, things like what, what happens before we're here and what happens after. He had stories of you know where what he saw and stuff after he kind of died on the table. But apparently, the story that didn't stick with him was 
write down your passwords and tell your friends what you want to have done in case this happens again. Oh. It was all a big, like, it, it was just as big of a um, surprise as the first time. It's like, well, that was a little bit around um, with our heads cut off trying to figure out what to do. And, um, mm. but anyway, um, during his life, which is much more uh, um, thing to talk about was uh He'd come from Atari, knew all these people. And so he left Sega, found out they'd all formed um, the multimedia studio from probably Joe Miller put it together. Yeah. Uh, I think he's been in some of your stories. He was the vice president of our um, division. And then we had another VP under him at some point that was, um, oh, I think his last name was Payne. I should have looked it up. Uh, he was, it turned out he was a submarine commander in uh, the military and had you know some of those military people that come out of it become pretty good managers and uh, i didn't even know he had had that background until i was working on my submarine game <laughs> oh, wow. about it. I'm like oh that's nice um but uh yeah so i think we're, they were brought in specifically to work on the seed their first cd game in sega of america that wasn't just going to be a port from a japanese game mm. I'm, I'm sure that was the first thing that got put out in the world it was um, Jurassic Park. So they're working on yeah. Jurassic Park. This is early. I, well, I'm coming in in March 93. This group must have been together six months or something before that. And so they're working with Universal and all this. And I'm, and I'm seeing Jerome showing me that stuff. And while I was still at Apple, he actually contracted to me to um, document dinosaurs and movies. And I can't remember if he came up with it or if it's another one of my BS <laughs> projects <laughs> from like, this would be fun to do and I could get paid. It was finding every animated dinosaur that had ever been in a movie with laser discs and videotape. Laser discs were big back then. Yeah. And uh, we all had them. And um, I found every Roy, Ray Harryhausen dinosaur. I just always loved that stuff. But I would actually find the clip and be able to say, it's on this tape at this minute, at this hour and minute. You can go look at how they did dinosaurs in this. And all of those the dinosaurs were done wrong. Um, Triceratops never looked really like the way that the um, paleontologists would draw them and stuff. The paleontologists we worked with, they were like a, a horse's body as far as the way their legs attached and stuff. And the way they would move was very different and the way their head attached their body and stuff. Whenever you'd get like a Ray Harryhausen one or a, um, his uh, uh, mentor, uh, Willis O'Brien, it would be this big ball big fat body with this big triceratops head stuck on it and stuff. It's like, I'm not sure where you got that from. <laughs> Probably from museums. Because museums came up with stuff like brontosaurus. It's like, there is no animal called a brontosaurus. That's fake. That was somebody took a head from one animal and stuck it on a body from another yeah. animal because he had to open the display. Like, <laughs> he had a deadline. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, I knew all this stuff just from being a, a monster kid, which... Uh, Definitely in the 60s, 70s, there's a huge class of people that, and your group and your part of the world, they'd all be in the Hammer films. Yeah, yeah. And they would spread out to the American ones and other. And I, I started out uh, a fair amount of Hammer, fair amount of that other company that was very similar. And we would see them in second run uh, in the theater, and they would market it to kids. And it's like we're watching Lost Continent, and it's like this is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> we had that. We had Seven Faces of Dr. Lowe. We had the Doctor Who movie with uh, Peter Cushing. That was in, and it was the summer series. So we'd see two of them on a Saturday. Nice. And the parents would just drop us at the theater and split. They'd go off and get their hair done or 
whatever. And it's like, you're on your own. It was mayhem. It was fun, but yeah, yeah. it was crazy. And so um, I've already had this knowledge of all these. So I, I did this. Uh, it was probably a HyperCard database. And it, HyperCard could actually run a, a, a um, LaserDisc player and run right to the correct place. So you could put a button in your little review and say, click this, and it'll go and put the, this gigantic platter in. And it'll jump to that scene, and you can see the dinosaurs. And I had Ringo Starr in his um, dinosaur movie. He was a caveman. And it was funny. And so I, I put funny ones in there and stuff, too, because it's like, that's a really nice T-Rex that's <laughs> in that movie. Within, it, within the game, within Jurassic yeah. Park and the Mega release. Well, this, this is all pre-production. So he was still, they're ramping up and trying to figure out how the dinosaurs work. Because they're not seeing a ton of stuff from Universal about how the final dinosaurs are going to um, yeah. animate. They're seeing the art. So they're seeing the, the stuff that became trading cards. They were seeing the um, line drawings and stuff of uh, uh, animals. I actually have the trading cards right here. And, you uh, didn't see the film then, Eric? You weren't given... Uh, not at this point, no, because we, oh. we saw it when it came out in the theater. We oh, didn't what? get a pre-released um, version of it or anything. And um, yeah, here's a perfect one. So oh, if you're watching on YouTube, yeah, you can see that there. That's wow. Yes, Crash McCreary did all these just gorgeous um, black and white illustrations. And That's amazing artwork, isn't it? Wow. Oh, it is. And so he he worked. He still does stuff for tops, and he's done a lot of monsters and things. And um, we were going off of those, but not really how the animals were going to move and stuff like that. Well, I say we, but at this point, it's them. And um, we were also going off of the novel. Uh, well, yep. to, I have to get this to Sega first. So, um, so Jerome's like, "Is it fun being at Apple anymore?" Because <laughs> we still were talking every day. I'm like, "No, they've laid everybody off that was sort of that I was friends with. I'm sitting with a bunch of fuddy duddies, and because uh, the writers were a very different breed of cat, they were yeah, yeah. just different kind of people. We we have fun with them, but they were half the energy of our group. So my group was called GFX. We were all graphics and animation and uh, interaction. So. Uh, I said, no, I, I would be up for something else. And um, left Apple to go to Sega. I interviewed at Sega in this, this is in the spring of, uh, of 93. And um, they show me the group. And I'm like, oh, God, this looks really cool. And they're all, yeah. And, and Michael Jackson just came through. <laughs> Did you meet him? No, I think it was right before I, I oh. either interviewed or in between interviewing and working there. But, uh, they have, you know, um, all these stories and all the things they're doing. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. And I don't think I'd ever played, um, well, what we, I think Master System was the same between countries. I think they called yeah. it Master System. In yeah, that's right, yeah. I don't think I'd ever seen it. And now when I see displays of the games, I'm like, I must have been buying toys at Toys R Us then, but I don't remember when they had all the white mm. covers that were very uniform. You could really tell it was a Master System game. Mm. I know I never touched that console. And um, my uh, wife, um, before we were married, had a Nintendo, and then we'd play the shooting games and stuff, and we had uh, Game Boys that we almost didn't yeah. get married because the Game Boy games like Dr. Mario are rather competitive, <laughs> <laughs> and you could connect the Game Boys. And I, I think I was not, not a great winner. <laughs> I, would, I would send a bunch of pills over to her screen the way that you could send Tetris blocks. I think we played a lot of Tetris head to head, too. Yeah. Like, she put up with quite a bit. He <laughs> buried her girlfriend under Tetris blocks. But, oh, um, we always had fun with Nintendo. I don't think we ever found Nintendo games that we would uh, 
be crazy aggressive over uh, um, for um, Nintendo Entertainment System. But um, Nintendo Entertainment System and Sega um, Genesis for us and Mas uh, Mega for you, very similar kind of gameplay. They ported a lot of stuff back and forth. Yeah. Um, they could. And so um, I played stuff at that level for cartridges, but not, not a ton of theirs. And um, I think either in the interview or on my first day there, they showed me the CD um, system because they CD, well, DVD had just been invented. So DVD movies were, were still like, you had to be in the industry, I think, to have a DVD player because they were just ramping up. Like it hadn't come out for consumers. So I got to see a DVD player and a movie in an office. And they said, we're going to have something similar for Sega. We're going to have to compress the video a little bit. You know, like <laughs> they were underselling. <laughs> just a little bit. Because I don't know if you remember Stuart Rat and all those, how horrible they looked. They were yeah, I mean, with amazing, but yeah. It's amazing at the time. I mean, at the yeah. time, we're all, oh, my God, it's a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or the one where you're watching girls through the house monitors. Um, night, like, oh, what's it called again? What was night, that one? Oh, I've interviewed, I've interviewed the man that made it as well. I feel really silly now. Yeah. Um, no, but oh. the one that invented uh, ratings for games because it was like, what the hell is this game? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> before any of that had come down the chute, they were like, we're going to have a, this CD-ROM thing, and that's what we're building Jurassic Park on. And it turns out they're also building a Jurassic Park cart that is much more well-known than the Jurassic Park video game. But I'm, I'm yeah. like, multimedia, that's been, you know, half the conferences I've been to, I don't think we ever called it. I think when we were introduced for people on tours at Apple, they'd say, you know, like, they do the multimedia stuff because yeah. it was the sexy thing. But I think we just called it GFX and had other. We were, we were more looking at the way movies treated it than the way uh, computers did because movies are always more sexy. And... Um, so I went over, I'm like, multimedia studio, sounds good. And I interview with him and he goes, let's look at your, you know, pay and stuff. And he goes, I think we can do that and match what you're making at Sega. I mean, making at Apple. And I go, okay, but sort of like, well, there's nothing more on it, but I'm sort of moving out. I should be moving up. I'm all, is there anything else that sort of can be negotiated? And I talked to somebody else and they said, well, tell them that you want a particular kind of Macintosh setup. And then you get to keep it when you leave. Because a lot of times when you leave a company, your computer is so set up for one person, it ends up being put in a, a, a storage room. Oh, wow. So I said, I'm going to be smart and ask for that. So I got that into my contract. Fast forward three years, they didn't give me my Macintosh when I left. <laughs> Mike, Mike Latham goes, yeah, I wasn't there when that happened. But, yeah, he shouldn't have, shouldn't have said you could have that. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I negotiated. Instead, Mike Latham goes in and says, I want to own all my characters from all my games. That's and they clever. say, okay, I'll talk about a key thing. So watch your heart medication after a major heart surgery you're out and negotiate to own your characters <laughs> because Virtual Hamster doesn't own doesn't belong to me. It belongs to a guy in Sheffield. Um, Sheffield in England? Yep, that's where the, the, the developer was. Wow, we're, yeah. we're, we're talking about Virtual Hamster later. Don't I, don't worry, but that's... I, got to, I have to sprinkle all those little so people will still listen because they're all, God, that's, this guy talks a lot. <laughs> um, I've also been accused of talking fast because I grew up in California. But I don't talk as loud and fast as people from New York. Mm. So you got that going for you. Um, so I get uh, set up at Sega, and I'm hired as a game designer in the multimedia studio. And... Um, one of the other game designers is my friend Dick Holmes. So he had been the guy that uh, modeled the J character for me and had done, you know, we'd done tons of work together, mostly in parallel. Like he'd be on one project, I'd be on another. 
But now we're working on the same thing. Jerome is the like game designer manager, and Mimi's art director. And um, Mimi had been a contractor at Apple. I had, I had worked with her before. So everybody had worked with everybody before, is what it turns out. <laughs> Nobody just appears at a building and starts working. They've worked at six other major corporations. And um, Mimi was the one that taught me when you're drawing something, you can select it with the lasso and hold the option key down and drag it, and you get two of them. And I'm like, oh, my God. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Copy and paste. <laughs> like silly things that if you didn't pick up on it from somebody else, it could take you years to pick up or you would never pick up. So she uh, she used to paint billboards for a living back in the pre-digital times before Atari or anything. And in order to paint a billboard, you have to be able to focus on a very small area but still know what it's, it's part of a bigger thing. Turns out it's perfect for turning pixels on and off when you're drawing bitmap wow. stuff. Yeah, that is. It's a weird, yeah, you don't always get what those things are that, that um, pay off as skills. Yeah, transferable yeah. skills. That's incredible. Yeah, you'd never, who would, who would think the hand painting these gigantic canvases? So um, she was a gas, and she was the art director, and it filled up her department with video people, sound people, animators. There really were animators uh, for 3D animation. And um, I think that's it. The music guys were sort of separate. But the, she had her own audio guys for sound effects and things like that. So it was it was a little more like TV and movies. And the video toaster had been come out about the same time, and we'd be looking at that and looking at Babylon Five and seeing like Look at the stuff you can do with this little machine that costs nothing, and you can actually make a TV show out of it. And um, they're working on silicon graphics machines and PC after PC. It turns out some of the illustrators are using Mac, but Everybody else at that company is on PC. And I've come out of five years of working nothing but yeah. Mac and Apple. I Last time I touched a PC was in junior college to do a 3D animated chess piece. You know, it's just a little art project. And I never really took to it. I just sort of, well, I learned basic programming on a PC, I guess, in junior college. And um, these guys are working in Silicon Graphics and animating and all this stuff. And I'm like, I could learn kind of what they're doing in that. But then I kind of thought, once you learn one of these skills at a company like this after being there and seeing around, I'm like, you'll get pigeonholed and you'll be doing that kind of stuff. And it's like, I like animation, but I don't like tracking assets and all the kind of yeah. weird stuff you have to do to animate on computers back then. Probably still the same today. And so I never pursued learning it. But I also would have probably gotten all the skins of all the dinosaurs from Jurassic Park and <laughs> kept all the assets. <laughs> they did give us some things. They wouldn't give us the model underneath the dinosaur that made the dinosaur real they gave us the skins that were laying over it. it's like that's pretty but wow. it looks like you got a, a trophy <laughs> that you put on the floor <laughs> not, not an asset you put in a video game no. um so i get in there find out that they're 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 working on it they're in it uh the movie's going to come out in june of 93 and this is march of 93 and we're not really done we're, you know, they're, they're still hiring a game designer to work on it. So I've been assigned to work in the visitor center when you're playing. It's a first person, um, not really a shooter, first person exploration adventure game. So um, there's video elements, which I end up being in charge of compressing a lot of those. And boy, did we compress them. And um, they'd been to Hawaii on a trip because they knew how to boondoggle too. They went and filmed a bunch of stuff going through. Um, uh, kind of fields of just big plants and stuff that look tropical. Well, they filmed Jurassic Park yep. in Hawaii. So, 
they came here and filmed some similar stuff so that when you're walking through paths to go to different paddocks and stuff, that was actually live live video. It was compressed so much. It might as well have not been live video. Well, <laughs> still. <laughs> animator would have been better. But um, it gave it a certain cachet. And then when they were selling it, they could say it has live video in it. Yeah. And uh, we had um, segments that were in the um, – you were talking to InGen, which was the company that owned – the helicopter that picked them up and owned, basically they owned Jurassic Park. Yeah, they weren't yep, yep. built up until the second and third movie as being sort of the, the semi bad guys. Yeah, 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 that's right. But that's like John Hammond's rich, but he's not that rich. So he either owned InGen or he got bought out by InGen. So in the game, we're working off the book because they still they they never gave us a script as far as I know. Hmm. Um, it's kind of weird when you're doing a licensed thing and the licensor is actively not really helping you. <laughs> it's nice, weird. Let's be honest. Odd. Um, and uh, so um, I just got into a Steven Spielberg story in my head, but it's an Atari story. <laughs> it's not, not a second story. So Steven Spielberg's directing this thing. And they're not doing a ton of stuff to help us. None of us apparently knew anybody that worked at ILM. Um, when I was at Apple, my buddy uh, from another podcast, from Monster Party podcast, uh, Larry Stroth, calls me up, tracks me down at Apple and goes, they're hiring interns at, at um uh, Lucasfilm, and he knew I'd be excited because we're both monster nice. kids. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm already working like full time at Apple, so <laughs> I'm not going to go after an internship. But that sounds great. I should have gone for it. I love miniatures and models, <laughs> <laughs> and they're in Marin. I ended up living in Marin County. Anyway, the um, uh, ILM guys are not. There's no cross talk that I could perceive. So I've been assigned to do some of the games so that when you walk back into the visitor center the day after the evacuation and the day after the, the uh, hurricane has come through. You're on a park that's empty, and I can't imagine most of your listeners have played this game. It's kind of a, um, it wasn't, it was an okay seller. It was not a gigantic seller. And you had to own the CD-ROM drive to attach to the Genesis, which cuts out a huge swath of people that played Genesis. It was highly regarded though, wasn't it? It did, got, it did get so good it reviews. Yeah, it yeah. won awards, you're right. It did win awards. Yeah. yeah, so one guy said it was his favorite uh, adventure or first person. He kind of it was in a slight niche, but I'm like, I'll take it. I'll put it on my resume. <laughs> and um, so I'm I'm doing the games that you play on the computer. After you've picked up the access cards to get in the doors, you've been bit by a compie and knocked out, and the, the card has been stolen. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you have to go find his desk, steal it back. Uh, you get into the visitor center with the correct combination of cards and stuff, and they, they'd already worked that stuff out. And they said, what are you going to do on the computers? I actually can't even remember what the game games were I came up with. They were okay, but I wanted to have Mr. DNA from yes, the, yes. the video of Hammond. I actually cosplay Hammond now. I should have brought my hat. Do you um, honestly? <laughs> I put on a full <laughs> white outfit with a white hat, which I found out by accident. I wore a Panama hat to um, uh, resort with my brother when he was here. I'm like, oh, God, I look like an old man. I look like the guy that owns Jurassic Park. <laughs> so... Um, Anyway, uh, you get in there and you do these little games. So I wanted to do Mr. DNA, and we I can't remember if we decided we couldn't get authorization or it just wasn't the right thing, but I thought, well, we should do something. I should have just put it in there as a, as a thing on the desk or something. But um, other people are animating and building the world that we're in. I'm just figuring out, like, the little games on the computers. And then um, that wasn't a huge task and not a big chunk. I'm also helping review in meetings, you know, all the other gameplay things because um, – we're, so we're going off the novel. Novel been out for a couple of years. Yeah. I read it when it came out. And that guy wrote Westworld and directed Westworld. 
he had written uh, Sphere, which wasn't yeah. great, and the movie wasn't great. <laughs> and, um, Westworld is a good film, though. Do you agree? Oh, I love Westworld. Yeah. I saw it in the theater. So I've yeah. seen that in 74. I was 10. And I'm like, this is amazing. And then his face comes off. I'm like, how could he talk if that's his face underneath his face? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm picking at it. At the same time, I'm like, this is the best movie ever. And uh, yeah. I'm a big fan. Oh, so that guy was, uh, he had a thing for amusement parks going wrong. That's for sure. He knew his, knew his uh, realm. Anyway, so he's, he's still alive at this point. And um, we're, we're reading the book. Michael Crichton, isn't it? I think the author is that right. What was that? Is it Michael Crichton? Is that the yep. author? Yeah. Crichton, I think. Yeah, I think it's right, Crichton. Okay. And um, like the android on uh, um, Red Dwarf. Oh, right. Anyway, um, <laughs> <What a great story. laughs> I got to keep my UK references coming. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so I've done the the visitor center. I've probably worked on a couple other little things here and there. I fit in fine. Everybody there is is just you know the same kind of. A weird crew the animators especially I, i'm hitting off with the illustrators because i'm an art director and i'm an illustrator work because they're all better than me and um we're having a good time uh turns out we're not going to make ship date anywhere near the beginning of the movie which i think sega had always hoped but i don't think they had much pointing them in that direction so uh They've, uh, they said, well, get done as soon as you can. And everything else I worked on was like, no one has to be on the shelf at Christmas, which means you have to be done in September X date and we have to get it through uh, manufacturing. I don't think we had that kind of pressure. We just had like, it has to be somewhere in the summer that the movie comes out. And uh, I think the cartridge was probably on time because yeah. it was a straightforward uh, side-scroller shooter. And um, that was done in a different part of Sega. That was probably done in LA. So I, we didn't get to see... A ton of that unless it was brought up for a demo and um so i'm working with the other guys on their parts so anyway we're working off the book in the book the the raptors live in caves they live in volcanic caves on the island once they've gone out there's a bunch of stuff that's like when you think about it, it's like how would that work in the movie it's like it wouldn't the, the movie was within 12 hours of the power being turned off everything <laughs> in the movie happens so there's no what you know what the animals have done in the wild once they've gotten out so um the other big thing is that we had compies. What are these little dinosaurs? I'm sure I've got a card with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little light-boned ones. They ended up in all the other movies and were fairly featured. But they're like a you know little chicken weight kind of dinosaur. Yeah. But they had this great effect that if they bit you, you'd fall asleep. And if a bunch of them were waiting when one bit you, they'd eat you. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end of the book, is Hammond got bit by compies and got eaten, <laughs> which is not in the movie. I must read the book. I have to say, oh, it's it's a fun novel. It, all of his novels are fun, and uh, you know, I read Jaws when it came out and stuff like that, just to spoil ever going in the ocean again. And um, so um, we're going off the book with a bunch of those kind of weird tangents, and we've we've worked the compy in as a major yeah. game element because he would bite you, and as the as you get bit, then the screen would go black, and you'd wake up, and you'd have three quarters of the things you comp you know you picked up along the way. Uh, because they were like uh, pack rats, which I ended up right. playing in games too. That they, if they saw something sparkly, they would grab it and, and take it. Mm. And so that wasn't in the book, but it was a perfect thing for that kind of a uh, character. So uh, they would steal the card keys. So I think I helped to balance some of that stuff, like what you found in the Jeep that was overturned, what you yeah. found in different places, just so it, it was even. We were always trying to, you know, visit a lot of just basic uh, new game stuff like that. And, um, 
I think it turned out to be kind of a fun game. Um, the movie came out at the same time that we were filming scenes with a paleontologist. And do you remember the paleontologist in Jurassic Park 2? Um, he had a, hat, a cowboy hat and a beard. Yes, yes, yes. Get yes. Killed. <laughs> yes. They based that on our paleontologist who's a real guy named Bacher. And oh, he gets the name in the first movie. The kid, when he's being annoying, he goes, I got this one book by Bach, by it's Dr. Bacher. That's, that's the guy we had. He's the one that came up with the theory of warm-blooded dinosaurs, uh, probably with some other folks. But he was like, these things had these. You could tell from the bones that they were like where the where the uh, uh, veins and and systems tied in with that, and like how much muscle was attached to the bone. It's like this had to be an endothermic animal. You couldn't get this much mass moving and have these kind of um, structures in the bone if it was cold-blooded like a lizard. Yeah. And so their their bones are different, and. Um, because if you in birds and things, all that had been uh, studied before. That's why the the bird references in Jurassic Park are there. And it's like, yeah, these animals aren't cold. They actually run hotter than us. <laughs> they run about 104. And so um, he'd worked all that stuff out not long before, and probably was. I'm guessing some of the raptors and things were from his digs. Um, Utah raptor was only found right around the time of the uh, movie, and so they didn't. Before that, they didn't have a raptor that big. Um, in the bone uh, oh, records, they were finding raptors that were more dog size. They were more like Dilophosaurus. And um, they're all, these are really cool animals. They'd be a good bad guy. But then again, since they're screwing with DNA, it could just be bigger. So in the book, he had them yeah. be very menacing and bigger. In the movie, they're all, no, I want it to be, you know, eye to eye with a person. And then they found one that they called Utah Raptor that was that big. And it's like, Thank goodness. <laughs> the stars aligned, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would make no difference. We were going to put that in anyway. But So anyway, they're finding out these dinosaur things sort of as movies moving along. And then we're finding out stuff like that we did or changed from the book into the game but or into the movie, but not until they were well into the game. And it's like, we're not taking the copies out. It's just another dinosaur on the island. But uh, we had this paleontologist in. We're filming him for the little segments when you go walk through the park. In the movie, they had the uh, signage and then the interactive thing was in the Jeep or in the Ford Explorer. Uh, the kids were like, it's interactive. It's a CD-ROM. And that would tell you about the dinosaurs. So we combined those because all the cars are online. Yeah. But you're walking through the park. So there would be maybe a separate uh, thing that wasn't in the book or the movie that would be when you're walking through the park rather than driving through. So we had to take liberties. And it's that's always fun is figuring out the reason why it makes sense logically. That's my favorite thing in, in game design, and I'm sure in movie writing, it's like, no, this makes sense. Give me three three minutes, and I'll come up with the reason. <laughs> and so we go through and find these kiosks that are interactive. So luckily, I had my background in Disney kiosks, so I, I knew what we were doing there. So we uh, and my friend Dick Holmes, uh, uh, he's designed what the sequence will be as you find the kiosks and then in I think any every other one or in pretty much every one there's a tidbit that'll help you beat that dinosaur or help you deal with its uh, the way it works and so that would be delivered through a little bit of text but mostly through the the paleontologist sitting in the corner of the screen talking and um, he's wearing his hat just like the guy in the movie and he has a little Jurassic Park uh, button on it and um, he goes uh, the raptors work as a group and they have binocular vision and they have huge brains. So you're going to have to watch out uh, if you ever encounter uh, raptors. Because he's talking to them as if they're a guest. And then we, we were in between filming. I go, how big were raptors' brains? He goes, about the size of a walnut. 
<laughs> but it's relative like, for a dinosaur. That's a huge brain. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so uh, he was a gas. He, you answer any questions you asked him. And stuff. I got to drive him to the airport too, so uh, we got nice. extra time to talk. And um, he's still around. He's written books and things. Um, so um, at the time, he's there with us for a couple of days. Jurassic Park's out in the theater, and it's already died down a little bit. So we got to go for matinees. We take him with. And he was like, no, I'll see it anytime. So we went and watched nice. the movie. And um, we had a great time. And he's, he goes, I tell kids if they think they're going to be scared, I'm all, well, the T-Rex is on your is on our side. So don't worry about it. The T-Rex will save everything. And it's like, that was a, a change at the movie that they didn't have until the last minute. So it's a good thing they put in something. Because Steven Spielberg, yeah. if you've seen Poltergeist, which technically he's supposed to be the producer on, but he actually directed a lot of it, scare the hell out of you. He could, <laughs> Steven Spielberg can write stuff that is in a otherwise like E.T. Like, oh, it's like a kid's movie. Have you seen E.T. dead at the bottom of a creek? It's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, there was a fun um, IP to get hired on to work. And so that was definitely was... a thing to get me in there was that, that carrot. And then after that, it was just one thing after another that were fun things. So we end up shipping the game. Um Oh, so I compress a lot of the video. So anyway, back to the intern thing from our, from our last talk. Jerome comes through and says, we're going to have an intern in the group. Do you think you could work with them? And I go, sure. And so I'm, I'm mostly compressing the travel videos and the kiosk videos so that they work on Sega CD. And um, they bring in an intern, but it's it's there's d different kinds of interns. There's some kid that came from university that either – wrote a letter or they found them in an interview or something brought them together with the company. And then there's the vice president's son oh, who right. it wants to do something over the summer is what I'm assuming because that's how he came in. But it turns out he was incredibly sharp. He's, he's sort of a jock, big guy. His dad uh, wasn't my VP. So he was the VP of a different chunk of Sega, but it was Sega of America. And uh, his dad was a cool guy. And I'd probably seen him in maybe a, a company meeting, not like my yeah. department, but every once in a while I have a whole company. And all the executives there intimidated me because I just didn't have experience working with executives. And the ones that happened were pretty laid back. But um, his son comes in, Byron Warner. Or Werner, And uh, I'm teaching him how to do video editing and then the video compression. And video editing back then is um, Final Cut. But it's by Final Cut 1.0 or something. <laughs> it's, it's and uh, we're putting stuff together, and he works over the summer, and then he goes back. And he was the only kid I'd ever met that was in a fraternity. And he goes back to his, his school. I'm pretty sure he is. This is all way, like, 94. And so, oh, no, this is still uh, Jurassic Park, so it's still 93. And um, he comes and goes, does his summer thing. And I thought, well, that kept him out of trouble for the summer. He ends up becoming a cinematographer and it worked on all kinds of real big movies and things. Wow. It's probably won major awards. I'm like, I taught that guy how to edit video, I think. <laughs> <laughs> what was his name again? Brian Warner. Which... Byron, Byron. Uh, Werner. So B Y R O N Werner is W E R N E R. Nice. And uh, he worked on a big submarine movie that was out a couple years ago. I'm like, Byron. And so I just, he's one of those Facebook people you just see every once in a while pop up. And, um, so that was fun. And I got to feel like I kind of paid back by having an intern because, boy, did I ever get something out of being an intern. So I got in both these degrees, met my wife, and had my kids basically all became out of that internship. Right. So I, none of those things were – because apparently I was having a hell of a time meeting that meeting my wife. Um, 
and um, we're working our way through Jurassic Park. We get through our uh, video compression and the little codec that makes that work. And boy, did we have some help from people that I think Mimi knew from before that were writing software to compress um, images and they could do it in sequence. And you could take like Photoshop, I know I don't know if you guys work in it, but it's got all these layers is the big thing in Photoshop. So you can work on a different layer and turn it on and turn it off. Yeah, yeah. If you set up a bunch of stuff in layers, you could have them all sent out to this little um, little widget app that they had that it would it would process every one of them and put them back out as all JPEGs or as all PNG files. And um, it was just it's such a time saver because I would let the machines run to compress stuff and it would be like overnight compressing wow. video. And I would have a remote login to the PC so I could check it at home or whatever and um, see how it's doing or turn it off, not be all the way back in the office. And um, so we've gotten through with technology's help and stuff. We get to get the game out there. And um, while we're working on it, they have the big um, CES down in Los Angeles. I think it's in Vegas. I think CES was always Vegas. And I think E3 might have been always LA, but I always get the sense that one of those may have moved around. And so we go down, and I've got pictures on my Instagram of uh, work in the booth. That is an entire Jurassic Park booth. And they've got one of the Ford Explorers from the movie parked there. And they've got the door, the archway that was made you know, for the show out of yeah. like foam. They've got a huge Jurassic Park uh, logo that looks like it's carved out of stone. And uh, torches everywhere. And they're showing all the Sega games. And... Um, the cart's playable, and then there's a playable version of our, our CD-ROM, but it's not finished, but you can play it. And um, it was a gas. And then everybody at that show, I'm wearing the world's most uncomfortable white jumper that's a acrylic white. Uh, <laughs> I still have it. It's a sweater with a, a Sonic uh, embroidered on it. Cool. And I've got my little name badge thing, and I'm standing out in front, and they got I got a picture of me, which back then you had to bring a camera along. <laughs> like, it wasn't your phone. You had to really think if you wanted workplace pictures. So I have a couple pictures from the office that have survived and a couple pictures from just that con that one um, uh, event because we did a lot of them. But uh, the, the Explorer's off to the side, and everybody there would go and, you know, try the handle, and they're looking in, and there's, there's maps of the park scattered in the back. Like, they just finished filming. This wasn't the one that was crushed, so it would have been Grant's car. And they probably had a couple extras. And so they park it there, and then everybody tries it and moves on. And then the show closes, and I go over and I try the back flip, flip that flips up the, uh, the back of the um, window of the uh, cargo area. It's not locked. So wow. I climbed inside. I looked at all the maps. <laughs> I looked under the seats. I sat in front. I didn't have a camera along for that. Unfortunately, the camera was there for <laughs> part of the but uh, I had a gas, and I popped out and just closed it after me and didn't take anything like an idiot. But uh, um, it was a, it was a fun time to be oh, in nice. there with all this kind of things. So I think after we've moved on, we're getting probably just close to finishing it. So the game designers are probably all done by the time it's really trying to finish the CD-ROM because it's programmers, um, sound people, yeah. sound inter uh, sound effects are worked out, but like music cues and stuff like that are probably still being worked on. And um, we have a meeting that says, okay, we got three game designers in this group. We've got this huge group that's about to be idle. Um, why don't we come have a bake-off? You guys can show us what you think you want to do. Um, I've been talking with the, with the different animators and stuff, and we all love Ray Harryhausen and monsters and stop-motion stuff. And um, so I'm thinking, 
one of my favorite Ray Harryhausen is kind of an oddball for the ones he did a lot of um, Jason and the Argonauts and uh, Clash of the Titans, classic Greek stuff. But mixed in, there's a cowboy one, Valley of the Guanji, which is fantastic, and um, Mysterious Island. I don't know if you've ever seen Mysterious Island, the movie. No. It was a novel. It turned out, it took me by surprise, it was written as a sequel to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Wow, up in it. And I thought, well, I thought Ray Harryhausen just shoved Captain Nemo <laughs> the submarine into this other story. It's like, no, it was it was one of the early earlier adventure sequels. And um, so I love that that one. And I thought that would make a really neat game. And we could use what we learned how to do this first person wandering around adventure thing. We could just do, replace the graphics more or less, yeah. almost make an engine out of that so that it could be reused. At least we all had experience with it. And people seemed to like that game and it was new at the time for that type of gameplay. So I came up with an idea for the, uh, I was just calling it Nautilus because that's mm -hmm. the submarine, but there is there is a CD-ROM that's been called Nautilus since 92. And it, it was not a game, it was something else, but it, it had the name in the market. So I knew I was gonna have to change it, but I thought, not at this point, I'm just gonna call it Nautilus and move on to my thoughts. So I had, a, had, had drawn um, stuff on an art pad of what I thought some of the different game locations could be and what some of the things you could do. And I thought you could you get on the sub and you're alone. Because the big thing is interaction with other people was not there yet for um, sure. games. So I thought, well, we'll do all the interaction with people in, in live video. And then um, once they set you up, then you're on your own with puzzles and, and creatures and stuff. So uh, I, I drew out a blueprint of the sub as one of the kind of main game areas. And um, Jules Verne wrote it out, but never really, I think they had that illustrator, all this stuff was illustrated while he was working on it, but he didn't work out the illustrations and figure out, he was very technical and he had figured out like all the different rooms, but I thought, well, a submarine would have a lab. You know, it had the salon yeah. was the main thing in the, in the movie and in the book. But I thought, well, underneath the salon could be a lab because it's, uh, the walls are curved like this. They're not, they're not curved like that, which means the part where the sub goes under turns out that's the the um, airlock <laughs> in the Disney one. Um, but uh, I thought, well, the airlock can still live under the sub, and we'll put a lab underneath it, and then the spiral staircase will come up into the salon because that's a Victorian, you know, yeah, cool. Yeah, and I had all this steampunk stuff thought up, which it wasn't called steampunk yet. There was no word for it. It was just called like Victorian mechanical stuff. And I thought. I think this could work and we could have, I don't know if in, in the first pitch I, what we're doing, I, I don't think I had the video logs, but I thought we have these wax cylinders that exist at the time with uh, Alexander Graham Bell and, and recordings. I'll have it that Nemo also figured out how to make video and yeah. record it on, on a similar tube. And then you can go through the tubes and get Nemo's uh, diaries and oh, cool. uh, lab background things because you talk to him briefly but then he starts to turn into a fish monster <laughs> so he, <laughs> he freezes himself for most of the game but uh i have a, a sense of what the game's going to be and it seemed to be a perfect fit for the group because it's a multimedia studio so i pitch it with the two other guys oh three of, uh, we had three other guys because we'd hired a, yet another game designer after me um i don't even remember what he worked on in jurassic park he, he was on all the group kind of stuff but he uh the other guys pitch a Mars kind of game where you're in little Mars trucks and uh, there's some conflict. I don't think it's a war. I think it's more of an exploration game. I can't for the life of me think of what my other friend did. He pitches it. I pitch mine. And then um, the, the new guy pitches it. And 
he stands up and dances, mm-hmm. like moves around, and he's much more showing. I think his artwork was done by one of the illustrators in the group because we had that um, them as assets. So he's got this whole vibe that's a lot more energy behind his presentation. And what he ends up pitching is called Wild Woody, and it ends up shipping, and it's probably the least played game. <laughs> I don't think if one of your play- listeners has played wow. it, they were related to the guy that designed it. Probably. Like a CD game, is it? It's a CD-ROM game. Yeah, so that's what we're pitching is CD-ROM games. And uh, it's horrendous. At the, most, the closest thing I've seen to it is in uh, Rick and Morty, uh, when um, <laughs> there's an episode where, a mon- where an alien gets into your memories and then you have to realize who in your world is a fake memory and then you have to shoot them because they're the aliens. I've One seen it episode, yeah. There's a little pencil, but he's upside down version of Wild Woody. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> the little pencil goes, mistakes happen, Rick. That's why I have one of these. And he points to his little eraser. That's basically <laughs> the idea of the game, except the eraser was his butt. And so the guy pitching it goes, and this eraser, and this guy's a pencil, and then when he makes a mistake, he erases it with his butt, and he starts like doing a little butt wiggle dance. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're right. Let's Google it. Wild Woody. Yeah, a platform game. Um, wow. That's really interesting, <laughs> but also bizarre. <laughs> Talk about a game nobody's ever heard of. And no, so, I've never heard uh, of it. The guys in the group, all the animators, to me, I'm sure they were very polite to him, but they're like, I don't want to work on that game. That game looks like it's going to suck. <laughs> so, nice. well, I like your game with the monsters and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, me too. But they passed on it. And they're all, and I don't know who had the idea. I'll have to take credit for it because it's technically illegal. I said, uh, well, we could keep designing, maybe make up a demo or something. Maybe we could get a second bite at the app. And the, the, the meeting had happened with, with Joe Miller and stuff. So like we're, we're presenting to our VP. They, he probably brought some producers down because we didn't have a technically have a producer in our group. The guy that produced Jurassic Park CD was basically our sound guy, Spencer Nilsson. I think he took it on. He ended up forming a school in San Francisco to teach music and video game stuff. So anyway, he uh, we kind of went through in a, in a non-traditional way of setting it up and um, of not having somebody in the hierarchy to, to take things through testing. Uh, producers do a ton of things. And so um, a lot of it's championing your thing. So they would be representing your game in the, in the bigger meetings higher up to say, here's where this game is for this milestone, or they missed this milestone. And so um, I'm sure he brought some producers down, but I have no memory probably because of the adrenaline and the fear. <laughs> All I remember was like, I'm showing my little pieces of paper and trying not to um, stammer or say um too much or something. Meanwhile, Chris, oh, Chris was the name of the guy that did the pencil. He, he's doing the dance on his presentation. He was much more comfortable with presenting. So uh, the guys in the group are all, dear God, I'm going to have to find another job <laughs> if we're going to be working on the pencil <laughs> game. And so in the meantime, uh, he's designing the game because he kind of won the bake-off. So he's gone back to design all the actual gameplay. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into a CD-ROM game. It's basically a bigger version of a card game. And um, while he's working on that, all the illustrators, animators, sound guys, music guys are spinning in their chairs, you know, sitting in their cubicles and playing games and stuff, but nothing focused. And I end up saying like, let's make another demo uh, and we'll present it again. And if you could write some music that sounds like Bernard Herrmann, who who did a fantastic soundtrack on that, uh, that's part of the thing that makes Mysterious Island work so well. It's beautifully filmed, Mm. had some crazy 
uh, giant monsters, and then Captain Nemo, but it also had fantastic music. So I said, do something similar to, to that uh, music. I find out that Disney owns the rights to the um, Nautilus that was in their version of 20,000 Leagues in the Sea. The, the, the game, the, the book is public domain, mm-hmm. but the, they own that. That's their IP. And I found out the guy designed that beautiful Victorian submarine in three days. Really? He built the model and designed it in three days over, over a holiday weekend. Um, so I have a ton of lore I'm kind of pulling in on, on 20,000 Leagues, which I think I did before I did the first presentation, too. And, but I left out the fact that Disney didn't make any money on that movie for about uh. 20 years. <laughs> it was their first <laughs> adventure movie. It was their first non-nature documentary kind of movie. And uh, at least the first genre. I think they had one other adventure movie, like Swiss Family Robinson or something. But um, they, uh, it was beautiful. I love that movie. I love the look of it. But uh, you can make Victorian gear and not have it be Disney Victorian gear. Mm. So I've got the, a plan for... Um, the animators are working up the suits, the dive suits. They've got the submarine completely done up. They've, they've designed it all. I don't think we had it for the first presentation, but I built a model based on yet another Batman property. Batman Returns had a sewer um, boat that Batman takes into the sewers to find uh, to get to Penguin's lair. I took the model. I've been kit-bashing model kits for decades at that point. And the Nautilus... I took the little canopy, I flipped the sub over and moved the canopy up to the front, and then added some fins and um, never even got into, like, the propellers and stuff. And um, left the bottom that was the canopy, that was going to be the airlock where you could fit a little mini-sub. Because that idea of a little ROV mini-sub yeah. just fascinated me that you could sense. And I thought, that's not beyond what Captain Nemo could come up with, because it would be cable, maybe. I think in the game we had it be radio control. But it looked like a big manta ray. And it would open up. The wings would be folded in while it was in the ship, and then it would go down and open up. And then it's hydrodynamic, just because of the fish that's based on this hydrodynamic. <laughs> and it would have a camera, and the camera would come back to the ship. So that I thought would be a really fun gameplay thing is that you can control that and it get you in and out of certain problems. And then I also added a, a balloon up on the top that was stored near the boat. There's a little dinghy that's built into the Disney sub, and I thought, well, that that makes sense. And I can't remember if it's part of the the book, but I thought. You can't own a boat. <laughs> you can't own a dinghy. So I'll put the dinghy in. I'll put a, uh, the balloon right next to it because it wouldn't take much room for a collapsed balloon. But then you could launch it, and that had a camera in it. And that was on a rope, and that would oh, just float cool. in the air. So I had a whole bunch of Victorian things worked out for this uh, second demo. So all these pictures are being digitized and put into a slideshow. The guys have already done the exterior of the sub, so we have these beauty shots of the sub coming by that are kind of like Star Trek watching the Enterprise go by, all in an underwater setting. And then I thought, well, let's just do a little narrative for this video. We'll have it. So you see the sub coming out of the Merc. It goes past you. Then we sort of, um, oh, I think we started out on the island. So uh, uh, we're on Mysterious Island. We find the sub that's in a grotto. And you'd have to do some game play to get to that. You'd have to solve some problems and move trees or whatever. You get in there, you see it floating by itself. And there's a little dock and you get onto it. You have your interaction with Captain Nemo and stuff, and you're sent on your adventure. So the, the game just has to compress that for a demo just to kind of show the highlights. So I had it so you're starting on the dock, you walk onto the sub, get into it. I said, let's have them go down the spiral staircase. Um, the sub launches, and then you go down the spiral staircase farther, and you go down to the lab, and you see the um, 
there's going to be a place where Captain Nemo is going to be frozen off to one side, and we haven't got that designed yet, but it's it's in the lab. In front of you is um, an airlock with the little mini sub, and so I said, let's get into the. We'll have the. We already have the mini sub done up. I, I built that as a model too, and then they they made the um, 3D model off of that, and um, we launch it, and it goes on a little excursion because from there on out, it's from the point of view of its camera, so we don't have to have any of the other assets. It can just be whatever fun stuff we think. So I yeah, said. Yeah. Sunken pirate ship or something. So they find it, and then uh, a dinosaur attacks the salon. You don't see it from the mini sub, but you go back upstairs, and the salon windows are are on either side. And a big uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the dinosaur now, but it looks like a, a just a big water based uh, land one. Basically, it's got a big long head and a neck. So it's not like the um, the big bad from Jurassic World, but uh, those exist mm. in some of the stories too. So I thought we'll have. This whole thing where you're going through dinosaurs and you go into the center of the earth, um, we'll, we'll cram together as many of these kind of Jules Verne ideas as we can get. Good. And that's where the video cuts off, and the rest of it's sort of a slideshow of showing what the characters would look like and what. And it was super impressive because, turns out, those, that's a big crowd of people with a bunch of skills. There's a money attachment to all those skills. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I. I, we put that together as an actual CD-ROM disc that they could put into the Sega CD-ROM drive. And um, I look at it. Uh, Joe Miller gets to see it, and uh, he has a meeting. I'm sure he, he probably just completely chewed out the guy that uh, hired me to say, what the hell? And, uh, you know, we already – I made my decision, and we're making Wild Woody. He goes, but this game is probably – it's too good to say no to, and I don't know who else had seen it. I don't think I distributed it. I didn't try to get it out grassroots before, I think, the executive team, but all, all the people who worked on it knew about it. They are all super excited. They were happy to just meet. We met in secret. You know, we just sort of said, let's go to the video room and just have a quick chat, and it was all the people working on it. It was way more organized than half the stuff we did for real games, wow. but we're all, we're all on our little mission as uh, uh, Rogue One, and so everybody's cranking stuff out. I had... I think everybody with sound effects. So I had a music guy, animators, illustrators. And uh, so I pitch it. I, I, I let it pitch itself. And uh, he comes down and has a meeting with me. He goes, yeah, see your demo. I like it. It's, you're obviously a creative guy. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going <laughs> to promote you up to the, the producer group. So you're going to go from being a game designer to an associate producer. My friend Mike here, so Mike Latham's in the meeting, he goes, Mike's going to be your executive producer. He likes it too. And I, who knows if he showed it to every other executive producer and they went, get that guy away from, you know, forget, I'm not hiring Eric into my group. He doesn't follow the rules. But Mike Mike was there and was behind me. And um, he goes, so anyway, there's a little matter of the assets that you use to make this demo. <laughs> he goes, that, that group worked on this obviously for a couple of uh several weeks, if not months, because I can't remember how much time passed. And he goes, so I'm going to charge you $750,000 against your game. Oh, <laughs> wow. Use, my, use the multimedia studio. And then we only spent a million bucks on a game, so I've already spent three quarters of my budget on the, just the demo. And I'm like, I had to kind of absorb that, but also take the fact that I'm being promoted and stuff in it on the same time. Okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm terrified of Joe Miller, so I didn't say anything back to him. <laughs> but I, so I moved up upstairs to Mike Latham's group of that, but it was such a fun group down at Multimedia. And it, for a good duration of the game, 
pre-production then they were they were pegged as being the people that might work on it after um wild woody or maybe in conjunction like maybe they'd hire more people but i didn't behind the scenes i think they're thinking of getting rid of that group um and so um it kept on the books it was a sega cd game it got killed probably more times than any game i've ever experienced <laughs> that anybody else worked on it was a sega cd game it kind of got killed and brought back, I think, while Sega CD was still alive. And then they're all, well, let's do Sega CD with a 32X box, because you could do both mm-hmm. if you were insane for the 15 people that own both. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they could play it. And um, I said, okay, so it comes back at Sega, Sega CD 32X. Then it gets killed again. Then it comes back as a Saturn game, I think. Right, yeah. So it's on the schedule of Saturn for a while. Then it gets killed. Then it's the PC game because we were making PC games by then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, every time they killed it, it was just like it, you. I'd lose five years. That's why I'm, I have white hair now. <laughs> <I'm only> <laughs> <six>. <laughs> yeah. But eventually, I left because they, they, when I left, it was like I really can't see any of my things be killed anymore on a regular basis. Um, that is a shame. Yeah, it was. It was a fun game, but it was. It never found a developer. I went to places like Blue Sky. Um, now I'm watching all these videos of all the um, special effects companies that were really rolling in the 90s, and they're doing great stuff. But a lot of them had started doing computer graphics and things, and then they moved on to doing uh, movie special effects and movie full movies like Ants and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And um, PDI was um, only a couple miles away. They became uh, they got bought by DreamWorks. And so all the people I was pitching it to were sort of too busy doing other cool things to slow down and do a game that wasn't tied in like what's Jurassic Park or something that was well known. It was just oh, a game, yeah, yeah. which is the more fun to design one that you sort of own that yeah, could become an IP, but nothing I did ever, <laughs> ever made that jump. And it, that would have been fantastic to keep making games that people knew, you know, and that became a sequel or became toys and um, never happened. But it was fun to be around and think about that that was a possibility. But yeah, we were always sort of either competing with or envious of movie um, properties. But uh, so that was the whole multimedia studio up into producing. And I can get into more of those those games and stuff, but uh, they won't be as long, I promise. (laughs) How about Mega Bomberman quickly? What what was your role on that particular game? Because I'm a massive fan of that. Yeah. We played NES Bomberman so much. We played the, I think the first version of it. That it may have been second because we, you could play at least four players, mm. and I think there were versions that uh, had more players. And, and you'd ask a question about the extra ports. I loved Micro Machines yeah. uh, more than anything. The physics in that were so funny because they were based on those little tiny cars, and the yeah. game had it perfect. Where if you flicked one of those cars, or if you were actually driving one in real life in the game. And you hit a piece of uh, candy corn, you were dead. <laughs> they put it yeah. the game. And so they had the extra ports in their games and stuff. Yeah. And so it would have been natural, but I was brought in just to translate it. And we would play it after hours pretty much. So as soon as it hit five o'clock at Sega, we're all piling into whoever's uh, tester's office or whoever had the most NES consoles because you could actually play multiple NES consoles and play Bomberman. Yeah. We're having a cast. We're playing Bomberman. We're playing Quake. We're playing um, um, Doom. Yeah, that's yeah. how I learned how to use a PC. Was because everybody was playing Doom, and it was only on PC. So it's like, well, I guess I got to learn now that I've moved upstairs. How do you use this damn PC for gaming? 
So we're playing and, and just having a gas and, and and still nobody's really got kids or any reason to go home. Uh, and so um, I've been playing Bomberman a ton. And then they said, we're going to have this one called Mega Bomberman. Mm -hmm. And they finally got the word mega and something in America <laughs> instead of just the UK. They said, uh, yeah, they're going to license it out. And I thought, wow, this is fun. Oh, this is different because it has a whole platform game on top of the regular Bomberman play. Yeah. It had a platform game with these little kangaroos. And from yeah. one of them, that's the Yoshi. <laughs> it's yeah. a lot like Yoshi to me. So we called them Yoshis the entire time we were playing. I don't know what they were called in the game, and I'm sure I named them, but because uh, it came in fully Japanese. And that happened a lot at Sega of America is we would get these port uh, kind of projects, and they needed a producer to see them along, change all the uh, names, make sure that the manual probably got translated, which I don't remember doing on that one. And then... Um, it turns out I found out the hard way with uh, Masked Rider. Uh, make sure the music rights have been negotiated before oh, you make <laughs> the music. So this is uh, right around the same time, and maybe I'm doing uh, Masked Rider, maybe before. It's a card game. And yeah, so, so Mas uh, what's Masked Rider? Is that, is that a Genesis game, Mega Drive game? It's a CD-ROM game. Oh, another CD-ROM game. Okay, oh, gotcha. Yeah, so another it's a Mega CD-ROM. Which would so, count, wasn't there? It? it didn't actually get made. Is that fair? Or? It got made. Uh, it it was horrible and it was a big money loser because of the music rights problem i put into it <laughs> but uh it shipped and um it was a full motion movie game that was a fun movie that never was released in english as far as i know and definitely not in america as a movie because there was probably he was common writer zeo he was probably the 10th version of, of master writer right and yeah, every but, time yeah, they released yeah, yeah. the japanese have a when you see the toys lined up each one of those is from a different movie each one of them is called common writer they have nothing in common with each other except that they look like bugs. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a guy who either through magic or through a lab accident or through a, a devious lab person is turned, uh, when he calls a certain thing or gets angry, turns into a, an armored bug that generally has a motorcycle appear out of nowhere that looks <laughs> like a bug. And so I'm working on that and... Um, this Bomberman game, and just I played the hell out of the Bomberman. I played through Great the game. entire thing because you kind of have to to make sure it works. And then there's, there's testers working on it. They're a super fun group that I didn't really spend a lot of time in, but Latham did. Uh, Mike Latham ran the testing group for a while, and almost everybody in his group came from testing. And um, they're a fun group, but boy, can they do repetitive, boring stuff because it's fun to play a game over and over again. If you have to play it and find a bug and reproduce it, super tedious work yeah, yeah. <laughs> i always thought regular animators might well i couldn't be an animator that's tedious because of the the drawing process yeah. but it, it uh there's different things where the, it's like well i like that skill but i drop off before the professional part because it sounds boring as hell when you get real professional <laughs> testing is the same thing so i had to do a certain amount of seeing what the testers were finding and then i'd see if i could recreate it or i'd find bugs because we were all on the same bug system we could log them mm -hmm. and um there's a certain amount of fun I put quotes around the word fun, finding bugs and logging them and, and solving them. A lot of that's just programming thought, you know, having the brain of a programmer, which I don't. And uh, you do it and you have a certain satisfaction, I'll say, finding bugs. And so I, I we went through it. It wasn't a buggy game. It was fun. And the, the platform game I thought was really good. So I can't remember if you've ever played it. Cause you were yeah, yeah I used to own it as a kid. I used to, yeah. It was my favorite games in the Mega Drive. Right, right. I remember there was something significant about it either. Yeah, yeah. Never heard of it or loved it. I actually... It. Um, 
it's quite funny actually. I had uh, Eternal Champions and I swapped it. Eternal Champions for Mega Bomberman and my friend at the time never swapped back. So uh, Michael Lathan's not happy at me. But yeah, my Eternal Champions game was swapped for Mega Bomberman and I've still got the Mega Bomberman actually in my house right now. <laughs> but funny. Eternal Champions is long gone. I'm for you, but there's absolutely no documentation on planet Earth that I worked on. <laughs> that is bizarre, isn't it? I was surprised when you first contacted me. I was seeing, and even before that, I saw... Somebody called out, they said, oh, I love this game. And I realized if they were comparing fighting games or something, I'm like, I'm credited on Virtual Fighter. <laughs> yeah, I, I, did you work on that game then? No, <laughs> I, I helped on it. But Mike was so good about credits that the fact that I helped at every turn of it, like whenever we'd have to play, because you have to play against somebody. I mean, you can't play against the computer, but yeah. uh, we played the hell out of it because his, his group was a fighting group. We actually, we had different groups up in the producer group. We had a gaming um, sports and I looked up that guy's name that, that was the executive producer, and it's like, it is not ringing a bell, and now it's not coming to me, but I think it was Wayne or something. His group was fun. I liked all the people in it, but I never remember meeting the executive producer. He was probably in all the meetings. But Mike was in charge of Omega Group, which was um, mostly fighting in action. Right. And then Ed Annunziata, who was an unbelievable game designer, who did Echo the Dolphin. Yes. He did uh, the uh, Amoeba Group, which he named in reaction to the Omega group, which he thought was like, oh, come on, Mike. <laughs> he's so funny. He's not into any of the, I'm going to take this super seriously. He was more like, let's make a fun game. And and Mike is too, but it's like Mike also loves, you know, uh, Greek naming conventions yeah. and Odin and all that stuff. Uh, he, he's got a deep core of nerd stuff that he likes to express. And so Amoeba um, group, and then it um, seems like, Everybody that was sort of everything else was an amoeba. Um, it would have been a fun group to work in too, but uh, I love to work with Mike. And um, I just like the projects that worked on an amoeba. And I respected Ed so much because he would walk around with a controller in his hand. And as he thought about games, his thumbs would start moving because he's playing the game in his mind wow. as he's describing what the character is and stuff. And he was very tied in to that stuff. And I've not followed him a ton afterwards. I think he lives in California coast. And, Hopefully we're going to get get him on a future in, uh, interview. Actually, you should. He's yes, yeah. and uh, he probably hasn't aged. <laughs> he probably still has thick, dark black hair. And um, so uh, I did Bomberman. Got it out of there. That was when I had a real office with a door, which was kind of rare. And um, I had my twenty thousand leagues posters up on the wall. And uh, there's a gas. So I loved working on it. And then so we're getting these Japanese games. So um, Common Rider is the same thing. It's a Japanese game comes in. Mm. And do you remember, uh, speaking, going back to Mega Bomberman, do you remember what the kangaroos were called? Were they no, just called I, I don't remember, unfortunately. Because <laughs> I got, the, I named all the things in um, characters and stuff that were side characters in the Common Rider game. And I, I remember it like yesterday coming up with the names, but I can't remember a thing about Mega Bomberman naming. And it had bosses. They had all kinds yeah. of stuff. That it was a very clever it. game, yeah. It was well, well balanced, just a perfect game. I mean, a fun, just average kind of a game that didn't come out of a um, movie IP. You know, it's just somebody at Nintendo thought, let's blow people up with bombs. And, and nobody said, I think that that might be a problem in a <laughs> 1990s. <laughs> nobody ever said that. Japanese have such a funny take on things. Um, I was watching one where they were doing, maybe I was listening to your podcast about... Um, yeah, could we not make the big bad guy in this Hitler? <laughs> yeah, it was it was um, Maxinor and um, Gunstar Heroes. That's right. Right, yeah. right, right. Because yeah. they wouldn't think twice about this stuff. I found out from living in Hawaii and from driving tourists around um, 
for um, a couple of years, they don't have much of a memory of their role in World War II, let alone who else was big players in World War II. They don't teach it in school, I think, is what happens. Really? And they don't, as a society, I mean, I might be completely just making stuff, it's my perception is the average Joe there does not get any um, big history lesson about uh, what they were doing and what other people were doing. So when they come to Hawaii, they go to the memorial and stuff over here, but it's like, but it's a memorial to, to the Japanese attack, but it's like, yeah, that's our country or whatever. We didn't attack you. We weren't born yet. And yeah. their grandparents wouldn't talk about it and their schools wouldn't teach it. And so I don't think their entertainment covered it a lot. Wow. So it's, a, it's they're reacting from a place of innocence. I think when they put something crazy in there that we would take as like, this is a major insult. And and back then, that uh, cancel culture or reacting really quickly to stuff, it wasn't there in that degree. So sure. you would react to stuff with a conversation and say, what were you thinking when you put this in or whatever? Or, Do you think we could take Hiller out? And they'd say, sure. <laughs> yeah, they have malice intended, yeah. <laughs> they don't think because it didn't affect them. They were they were on the losing end of World War II, but only at the end. Yeah. They were doing gangbusters before that. And uh, if they had had gasoline... The, we'd always be speaking Japanese <laughs> here in California wow. uh, or in Hawaii. <laughs> and um, so the, it's interesting to see stuff from their point of view. And um, but uh, so I'm working on Common Rider. It's a, a typically weird Japanese sci fi is some of the weirder sci fi. Just the way Japanese horror, it's like, what the hell did that come from? <laughs> like, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So Common Rider is in the middle of its sort of span of movies. And they did a movie called Common Rider ZO. Who knows? I don't think it was called that in Japanese. That was the English translation. But they also called a mask writer for the uh, English market. So they did a full motion CD-ROM game in Sega of Japan. And it was, you would play through and you watch the, the opening of how the good guy gets created, how the bad guy gets created, uh, what's setting them at each other or whatever. It was a weird one. The bad guy was a little kid that remembered his uh, father's musical watch in his lab, and then the kid becomes a garbage monster <laughs> wants to kill everybody. And it's an adult-sized garbage monster. I'm like, is it the kid's brain in there? I can't, like, no, I don't remember, but it was weird. And they used the music box watch thing, just like um, the good, the bad, and the ugly and some of those spaghetti westerns where it's like, oh, stuff's about to go down because I hear the music playing <laughs> from his watch. <laughs> And um, it was a tragic background on the on the bad guy, which is always a tough one. It's like, well, the good guy's going to kick him to death. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, basically yeah, yeah. how most of these work out, or shoot a, a beam out of his hand like Ultraman. So um, we got it. It was just pushing A, B, C, left, right, up, down, to get from a scene you're in to a successful fight to get to the next scene, or... Maybe you're steering a car, you know, little things. They just take things. It, the movie wasn't designed to be interactive. It was just a movie. So they digitized it. It, it wasn't as badly compressed, I think, as most because it was playing through. Probably just had talented programmers on the other end. And um, you got maybe three quarters of the movie. I don't think it, their movies aren't particularly long. Horror movies aren't in general and sci-fi movies, too. They're, they aren't held to two hours. So it was probably like a slightly longer than a 70-minute movie to begin with. And so you're playing through, it's all on the disc there, and you just have to work your way through, and it's button mashing the correct button, like uppercut or yeah, yeah, kick. Yeah. And they only filmed one thing, but they might have filmed him punching in another one, and they used that as the you know, mistake. <laughs> they isolated or something. Because a lot of that was filmed in cheap sets, which meant it was just black behind them anyway. <laughs> so you could, you could pick something from three parts of the movie, and it all looks the same. And uh, 
as you fought through, then you could see the whole movie as you worked your way through. And so the big thing is that the whole movie's in Japanese. And so I hired um, one of our guys who was a writer um, who had worked in uh, Firesign Theater. I don't know. It's kind of obscure even in America. But um, the guys from Mystery Science Theater, which that's gone global, they were fans of Firesign Theater. And he was still doing comedy albums and stuff like that on the side, but he needed a real gig. Same way I, I drive tourists around just to kind of pay the bills. <laughs> he was working so to pay the bills. And he was a good, good writer. And so uh, he took the Japanese to English translation that I think we did within the company. And then he massaged it because when you get something that's strictly translated, it's rarely entertaining or nuanced or this stuff that doesn't uh, come across. He fixed all that. And then he's done voiceover and done acting and stuff. So he was one of my voices. He was the uh, mad scientist. He was, I think he was common rider. We had three, and I cannot for the life of me remember who the third person was. But one was a girl, a lady I worked with at Apple. She did voiceover work. And so I, she came in as a voiceover person. She could do females and kids because most of the people, mostly when you do voiceover, you get two characters out of each person. Yeah. And um, I can't remember who the third person was and if that third person probably did the common Rider voice. And um, we had a gas doing it. So it was written as a script. It came in as a script, uh, translated. And then we double checked that the sort of the mouth movements would work because when you rewrite it, then you kind of sort of have to go back and edit it again. So uh, we get that done. They'll go to a professional uh, recording studio. Again, good bagels. More of that movie. <laughs> and um, record all the audio. Same time, I have one of our musicians working away on making an instrumental version of the theme of the movie that is very throughout the movie, at the beginning of the movie, and at the end of the movie. I think we're handed the movie also as well as the game. And I don't think I ever picked up on the fact maybe the game had the music in it. Right. I think it did. But at no point do I remember anybody saying, Hey Eric, don't do the music because we don't have the rights to the music, <laughs> which would have been a, like, an important thing to mention. Yeah, yeah. So my way along, we have a beautiful uh, instrumental version of the Common Rider ZO theme <laughs> that matches it note for note. You know, however they do. I'm not a musician, so however you match, uh, make a, an instrumental plays all over the credits of the game. Well, you can get sound on there because it's a CD-ROM. In high quality, it ships. My boss, Joe Miller, comes in and goes, Yeah, Eric, uh, you know that Common Rider game? Well, yeah. And he goes, uh, Good job shipping that. I'm like, Okay. You know the music at the end. And I go, Yeah. Oh, he goes, We don't own the rights to that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he goes, We do now, but I, we were put in kind of a bad position vis a vis the game is done <laughs> and the song is in it. Uh, we ended up paying $3 a disc for that song. Wow. Just to put it in context, you're familiar with Star Wars. I go, yeah. He goes, you know how we have the 32X games with all three Star Wars movies? Because back then there were only three. I go, yes. He goes, pay 25 cents a disc for all three of those movies. <laughs> wow. Eric. 25 cents versus $3 a disc. <laughs> I'm like, oh, sorry. He goes, it's not your fault you didn't know, but I could tell. I'm like, I've let Joe Miller down again. Oh, no. <laughs> he was very medium uh, intensity for most of his life that I interacted with, but apparently, <laughs> that's you. 
and and hung out with Mike a lot more. And Mike was willing to go out with the smokers and hang out. And Joe Miller yeah. was a big smoker. So if if you could go out with the smokers, you got half your work done standing on a balcony. Sure, yeah, I've heard. Yeah, that's what Mike was saying. Yeah. It was just major chunks of the day. But uh, I never had that over interaction. Turned out I had worked with a guy at Apple that had worked with Joe on one of their major uh, things in their life. It was like a hardware software solution. And I didn't find out until like two weeks ago when I was getting ready for this interview. I'm like, those two guys knew each other? I had an in. I could have talked to Joe <laughs> and said, hey, do you remember this guy? And he'd go, yeah, he's my best friend. Instead, oh, he's just like trying not to get fired when I was around him or something. And uh, that was a funny uh, – it was up there with – I'm going to charge you $750,000. So I never heard any of the money stuff after the game went out. That was more executives dealt with it. But I don't think Common Rider ZO was a big one. And who knows if they ever had any marketing money to, to market it anyway. And if you don't market games, movies, whatever, people just have to stumble on them, you know, on the toilet. And then you have to make a decision, like, am I going to buy this or am I going to buy Bomberman? And you can buy, you know, buy Bomberman because you've played eight versions of it. Of course, yeah. Well, Eric, we better wrap things up quite soon. Uh, yeah. it's, getting, it's getting quite late in my end, if I'm being honest. Uh, but really quickly... Oh, can you... I didn't even look at the time. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got to go to work tomorrow, so I need to go to bed quite soon. But Virtual Hamster, before we go, can you quickly explain what that, that game's all about? Because it's, quite, it's got a bit of a cult following, but obviously another game that sadly wasn't released. Is that fair? Yeah, sure. So I come up... Well, Mike, uh, I think it's... It, Shadow of Atlantis is coming and going as far as being a live project, but there's other projects coming in and I've worked on them. And he goes, okay, well, we've got a request to do a 32X game that's just to fill a category, basically, but should be fun. He goes, do you do a puzzle game? Hmm. And I'm like, because a lot of those guys are mathematicians that come up with good puzzle games. All the ones I really like, Tetris, Dr. Mario, all those ones are all based on Tetris. We had a balloon. We had Mean Bean Machine, which I played all the time, still based on Tetris. Except, you know, some of them are going up instead of going down. That would be the difference. And I thought, God, what's the last puzzle game I played that was unique? And and I couldn't think of any. <laughs> it was like, there's not a ton of really great puzzle games that didn't come out of these kind of mathematician brains. So I thought, well, I'll give it a shot, but uh, maybe it'll have to technically be a puzzle game. So I came up with Virtua Hamster. I'd always had hamsters as a kid. And uh, they have these habit trail tubes that they live in. And I thought, this would be a really fun thing to be inside of and running around and, and then I thought, well, the faster you move through him, the more fun it is. So he's wearing a rocket jet pack and he's on a skateboard. <laughs> so I thought his foes will be other things that could live in the, and fit in the tube. So rats, there's a tiny armadillo that's that size. I found a whole bunch of critters. I pitch it all and I say that the goal is that you were being trained by a, a mad scientist to be sold to the spy industry and to go in undercover, which it turns out, you may sound this sound familiar because Disney did a movie about guinea pigs. It's the same kind of backstory. Yeah. And it's like, well, there are only, I never say anybody stole anything. I always say, there are only so many plots and so many things you can figure out that somebody else will figure it out at the same time and they'll be working at a different company. And so um, anyway, we're working on it and I show it to Mike and I, and I go, and the puzzle is that you can change the shape of the habit trail. So you have to find the right path through the habit trail, which is super weak. It's like, that's called a video game. <laughs> it's not called a puzzle, but he, he's all, yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> like he, he got that was sort of BSing, but he liked the game. And he's all, he, he apparently had nothing popping up in his head as a, as a puzzle either. And I'm sure if he gave it to the guys in the group that were originally testers, that's like uh, the chance of somebody plopping out a decent puzzle game within the next week I'd rather let's go ahead and focus on that. that element. And so we went out and we found a um, developer and he's out there in Sheffield. And um, 
So I get out into London. We'd been working on um, oh, it's a assassin droid game based on a comic. Um, Scud, the disposable assassin, and the guy that made it up is a huge like movie and uh, animated TV kind of guy. Now he's he's tied into everything. But this was his first like. I don't know if it was an underground comic. It wasn't like a, I don't think a big studio making the comic book, but it was a really tight story, yeah, really yeah. fun. And so we'd gone to London to talk to developers there that were working on it. So I met with my potential developer. We became connected. So he's got a contract to do Virtue Hamster. It was at too far into 32X and they didn't know how long it would last and it wasn't as long as they'd hoped. And so it got killed. Uh, the phase that they'd given me back I would have said was not alpha because there was no collision detection. You couldn't swipe at anybody. It had a bunch of fun game things where you could scoop up um, popcorn kernels in your cheeks and then spit them out and hit the retro rockets and you'd pop the popcorn. Like crazy stuff that would fill up the popcorn, fill up the habit trail tube. And then you could get through it or the bad guy could get through it, but they'd have to eat their way through. <laughs> like so things that would slow you down were all things that made sense. You hit bubble gum inside there and it would grab the wheel of your skateboard and you'd go flying off. Yeah. You know, all kinds of fun stuff that was potential. They got it working to a degree, and they did a demo that was uh, sharper. You know, it had more polygons. But that was always polygons. It was always my idea that it would look like Virtual Fighter. And so I named it Virtual Hamster, which I thought that's 90% of it is the name. It's funny. Yeah. You wouldn't expect it. We've had Virtual Cop, Virtual Fighter, yeah. Virtual something else. But, all but, of them are very yeah. deadly serious. <laughs> do, you, what are, do you remember any other ones? Um there is others. Is it virtual? Is it vir virtual soccer? I'm a, no, I'm a... It was always no. virtual instead of virtual. Yeah, which I yeah, thought, yeah. Well, that means they own it. It turns virtual out racing. They, that's it. Yeah, it's, virtual racing was one of the early ones. It turns out they never um, copyrighted the name virtual. Wow. It's like, I guess you could argue about it that you have things named it, but it's like, well, you made up a word, but you don't own the word. Turns out I had just assumed they would see my way in Japan. Japan has a whole different way of thinking, and the Japan companies have a different way of working. So they, on the phone, would never fully outright tell you no to anything because it was rude in their culture. They would say, possibly, <laughs> which meant no, under no uncertain terms. But you had to translate in your head, even though you're both speaking English, you had to translate what they meant. Yeah. And it turns out they had no intention of ever letting me name it Virtua Hamster. They just weren't going to tell me that on a on a phone call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it got killed more because the 32X had died. There was no point in finishing games or being you know worked yeah. on. Yeah. And then the guy that made it was pissed because he was he was getting paid based on milestones. They paid him as an alpha milestone, but that was still only half his money. So they, they outside of talking to me, they said, what if we gave you the rights to all the characters in the game and everything so you could finish it yourself if you want? He's all, okay. So it's like they gave away my game, oh, but it's hi. like, well, I was working for Sega. It was their game. But um, that's where it's, it ended up with Virtua Hamster. And it was a heartbreaker. And then... Somehow the ROMs from that pre-alpha got out on the internet. That's how people know about it. I mean, it was written up in magazines, so there's always a slight buzz mm -hmm. about it. I've been interviewed about that more than anything, and just web interview uh, text. But uh, yeah, people could actually kind of play it and bounce around in it. Yeah, I, I think just, it looks great. It does look great. The pictures I've seen and the videos I've seen, it's really original and just quite quite nice and a bit different, doesn't it? So, um, so Eric. And the fact we, that it died before the name had to be changed meant that I can always call it Virtual Hamster. <laughs> exactly. And it's not even copyright, like you said, the name, so you can just have at it. 
<laughs> look, look, Eric, we, we, we've got to wrap up. I'll give you, we've got one last question that we do to all our guests. We could keep talking, but obviously it's if been such a good... Sure, a chat, like a, we can set up something maybe outside of it where people could ask questions and they can exactly. hang around with people to visit with, but it, it will go shoot. Yeah, so the final question is we ask all our guests, if you could share a few drinks of any video game character, who would you choose and why? I was trying to think of that one and I thought, geez, that, that is a bizarre one that I've never thought of. And then I played a ton of uh, Alien 3. I love the whole Alien franchise. I also have a cosplay of that. I have a flamethrower. <laughs> I've got the face hooker. <laughs> the face hooker. Oh, that, is, that is cool. That is so cool. <laughs> Tons of toys. And I like every version of it. I, unlike most people that are fans, like they hate the fourth one and they hate Alien versus Predator more than anything. And uh, it's like, I'm willing to accept any version of it. I'll, I'll pick at it. Like the new prequels. Oh, they, It's like, could you ship more stupid people out of space that take their helmet off when they are on an alien planet? But um, Sigourney Weaver was in three and in all of them. And then the, yeah. the video game was a really good side-scroller. Same thing. They were basing it off the early script, like Jurassic Park was based off the book. You could see that it had all this stuff about the uh, meat handling in the prison and that's where the chest burster was supposed to happen. That's where yeah. a bunch of scenes were at. And then they edited it and changed that completely. And so the final movie only has like one scene in the kitchen. <laughs> Briefly, wow. I think they use it to go out the door. And um, so I thought, well, maybe maybe Sigourney Weaver's character, Ripley, would yeah. be the person I'd have a drink with. Because I, I played that. We were talking a li little bit about Alien Isolation. I played the hell out of the mm -hmm. half that game and really enjoyed it. So I thought, not only have I played with Ellen Ripley, I played with her daughter and <laughs> played as her. Perfect. And, uh, so many hours of games that uh, I thought that would probably work. That's a perfect answer. And I would uh, really, I mean, she's one of the best characters in video game. Uh, sorry, I mean, it's an amazing video game character and a, a movie character that they really did a pretty good job of. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. can let her be dead. <laughs> of course. Well, Eric, look, we'll leave it there. But thank you so much. That's you know, two great interviews. First, if you haven't heard back, guys, please listen to the Apple one we recorded a while ago. And we've got, obviously, all those amazing stories from Sega. Hey, maybe we'll get you back on the show one day, Eric. There's lots more I could ask you. And it's been a real pleasure. Yeah, there's a bunch of uh, just fun stories. And mostly those those kind of traveling the shows and stuff. There's so much stuff going on. There's a couple, There's one really good story. I have to wait for three more people to pass away before I can tell it. <laughs> It's like, all right, it's not my story, but it will be someday, depending on how things go. But, um, oh, just such funny stuff. And so uh, there's um, there's plenty of other things, but I, I covered the definite majority of it. And I'm sorry if I just kind of blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's been I'm brilliant. I enjoyed it. We'll get you back on, definitely, and um, it'll be a real blast. But thank you so much for your time. And, um, yeah, good luck with everything in the future. Thank you. Thanks for having a fun podcast, and uh, good luck with everything. Cheers. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. You can tweet us at Arcade Attack UK. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcade Attack UK. Check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots more retro gaming goodness and to delve into our archives. Our podcasts are also available on Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review and a rating. We'd really appreciate it. If you'd like to support Arcade Attack, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash arcadeattack, which will give you access to exclusive podcasts, interviews, and other bonus content. So, until next time, take care, and we'll speak to you soon.